You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash CivCast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of CivCast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dan. Hello, Dan. That was too quick. I was looking for a Civ 6 quote to say at the start of the show. (sighs) Heartbroken. Ruined. Okay, let's all go back to bed now. Um, But before we do that, I actually want to toss it over to our other co-host. Hello, Vouter. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Dan. Good to be back. Uh, where's your Civ quote? Do you have one? Why isn't it here? Uh, I don't Great. have a Civ quote. You're both uh, fired. It is not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. <laughs> You're both fired. This is done. We're going back. Uh, actually, Ooh. we have some uh, really cool news to talk about this week, guys. I'm very, very excited. Uh, for those that did not see it, the big headline of the week is that Veraxis is adjusting their digital deluxe edition, and we're going to get into that a little bit later in the show. But for those that were weighing the price options of that, uh, we Got a little, anyone that had bought it now has a little something-something coming to them soon. So that's going to be really, really cool. But before we get to that, we've got something big to announce for May, which is the new SIFCAST Challenge. Dan, take it away. Can I say it in this kind of voice, too? Yeah, we're having fun today. So yes, you may. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, we realized that last month, um, we probably... I don't know, restricted people a little too much with the parameters of the Civcast challenge to the point where we didn't have as much um, intake, like direct interaction intake as we had had previous months. And we're not going to blame you folks. We're going to blame ourselves. And more specifically, I'm going to blame myself for having too um, nuanced or outlandish of a Civcast challenge. So for this month, we thought that we'd streamline it a bit for you and Uh, Use a few different sources of inspiration. So the main kind of caveat for this month's challenge is that, well, I mean, it's going to be wide open, but we wanted to try and set you up with a team-based game. Last week, Kyle was talking about uh, this Civ eSports tournament that uh, is being put on that's being run as a 2v2v2 tournament which we think is a, is a really cool format. And it's not one that I personally play very often. I mean, if, if I play with teams, they are, you know, not set out from the start. And if they were to be set out from the start, I think I did that once in Civ five, it's generally just one group of four against another group of four. So um, with these two V two V two parameters, um, it kind of creates your own little uh, alliance system, your own, uh, kind of way for you to coordinate um, with the two different alliances that will be different, I guess, than something you've done before, certainly in any of the Civcast Challenge games that we've done in the past, and maybe in your Civ career. I don't know. So the basic parameters, you pick any Civ. We're not going to give you a, a Civ specification this time around. We'll leave it wide open for one of the 23 Civs. Uh, that's available. The map that we want you to play on is Continents. And the way, reason we want you to play Continents is because it tends to, um, if you're playing in teams, it tends to give you and your teammate a continent or at the very least like an, an island grouping or a, um, a set group of continents off, off in a corner away from the other teams. And so what that allows you to do is kind of have your own little fortress with your team that you build up before going off to explore and plunder um, the other teams. The victory type... I talk about explore and plunder. This actually might not be so much of an ex- exploration and plundering kind of game. Um, Vouter this week with his uh, his Patreon submission, for those of you who are uh, valued patrons, is doing a strategy session that's specifically focused on cultural victories um, and fun and interesting and effective ways to go about doing those. So we thought it would be good for you guys to have to focus on a cultural victory specifically for this month's challenge. Um, I don't know about you guys, but culture tends to be the one victory type that I really don't gravitate towards. But I do think that in Civ 6, there's a lot to like about culture victories. So your victory type is going to be culture in this game. Uh, Your map size is standard, your speed and your resources are standard. Um, The difficulty is going to be emperor as it has been for most of this. Um, but what you have is a 2v2v2 scenario with any civs on the continent's map seeking out a cultural victory um, in a team-based setting. So it should allow you guys to 
again, as is the goal for the Civcast challenge, you know, to try something new, to hopefully have a fun and innovative experience in the game. And then of course, to shout at us using the hashtag Civcast challenge on Twitter or to drop into our subreddit, which is uh, reddit.com slash r slash Civcast to share your results, share your Imgur stories, share, you know, gifts, whatever you got, share it all with us. And we'll uh, find a way to include it all in those Twitter moments that Kyle uh, so fantastically post at the end of the month. So I, yeah, I think, I think that's all of it, gentlemen. I think so. Uh, as an FYI, it is up on the site so people can find it there. All the roles that Dan just gave you is uh, kyledempsterstudios.com backslash civcast. We'll make sure to get links and stuff out to that as always. I think one thing, I don't know if we said this, um, but it's going May 7th, which is today, Sunday, uh, until the last Saturday of the month, as is our standard. So that will be the 27th of May. That's insane. We'll be rolling right into June uh so wow that's crazy how time flies but yeah i think that's a good amount of time for people to get in there dan like you said voucher is going to have a little strategy session that comes this wednesday may 10th so that's up there for our patron subscribers huge thank you to everyone that has been subscribing and catching um the strategy sessions and your historical moment dan i uh very, very excited to see that grow. Like you said on the subreddit, uh, which is Sifcast, um, that we're going to put up the sticky today that has um, all these rules as well. And that'll be the place people submit on Reddit. So um, you can totally go and create your own post and all of that that has all of your you know, details about your victory, but we just ask that you reply with your, like, final score slash final link to the sticky just so we don't miss anything because we don't want it to, like, you know, get moved down the line and and lose it. And again, like you said, um, if you're going to throw it on Twitter, make sure to use that hashtag, hashtag Civcast Challenge, because that's where we uh, gather all that information from, and that's how you get into those Twitter moments. Without that, there's nothing. Anything else on that, guys? No, I'm stoked to see everyone's submissions, and I'm stoked to try it out myself later on in the month. Yeah, I think this sounds awesome. I mean, not a lot of people seem to do the multiplayer too much. I think um, I think that's an area that's largely been unexplored by a lot of players. Um, maybe some people just think it's more of a, uh, they have to do multiplayer with their friend, but um, using the AI for multiplayer is very fun as well. It'll, it, it definitely throws a wrench into things when you see who decides to go to war with whom. Absolutely. Let's yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Let's dive into this main discussion because this is a big one here. So uh, we tipped it off at the beginning of the show. But if you are a digital deluxe subscriber, Firaxis came out, uh, this was earlier this week, and said uh, – they put up a, a, a post on their site, but I'll read it out here. It says, it's important to us that whenever civilization fans – oh, sh- Look, I've already screwed it up. It's important to us that wherever Civilization fans live around the world, that the Digital Deluxe Edition provides a great value. We saw that prices with certain currencies didn't live up to the savings we're looking to deliver. And so we are excited to offer the new content at no additional charge to those who purchase or already own the Civ 6 Digital Deluxe Edition. In the coming months, we'll be releasing two additional Civilization and Scenario packs for Civilization 6 that will introduce three new leaders representing civilizations from Africa and Southeast Asia. This content will appear automatically for purchasers of the Civilization 6 Digital Deluxe Edition upon release. Wow, guys, that's um, that's a lot of news to come uh, in, in this kind of like downtime when there wasn't too much happening. You know, we're in between having some recent DLC come out. Uh, which we kind of was, we were kind of worried, and we discussed this on the show that that was the end of the free DLC for the digital deluxe subscribers. We talked a lot about how we were disappointed in kind of the overall. I mean, they were adding good leaders and good civs uh, like Poland and Australia, but overall, it felt a bit uh, lackluster. Like we weren't really getting what we would have optionally paid for. Uh, and to kind of recap, so I purchased the digital deluxe. Valter, you did as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I did as well. And Dan, you are the odd duck out. You did not purchase the digital lux, right? Correct. So maybe, Dan, do you want to tell us, uh, well, I guess, how do we want to go about this? Let's see. Because I'm personally excited that I'm getting a little bit more bang for my buck. Um, But we've got some, I, I pulled some things off of Twitter here, where we had some people both yay and nay on this there were some people that uh weren't so thrilled and i think this will be a fun little conversation to to get your take dan since you're the guy that will 
possibly be buying these separately as they're released and uh, versus Voucher and I, who will be just getting them upon release. But I want to start us off with this little conversation where um, a user by the name of Greg on Twitter uh, tweeted it for Axis and said, isn't this a little unfair uh, for those of us who did the math and realized that the digital deluxe edition didn't make any sense to buy initially? It's supposed to be cheaper, but changing the deal after the fact didn't let me make an informed decision on my purchase. Dan, with that being said... Do you think you would have gone digital deluxe had you known a little bit more about it? Or, or do you feel a little slighted that they've changed this after the fact? No, and I don't get what Greg is saying because, I mean, ostensibly he's saying that if they had have told him exactly how much free content he would have got alongside the digital deluxe version, then he might have bought it. But the fact is, for access in their press releases before the game uh, came out, uh, regarding the digital deluxe edition, did not specify how much content was going to come out. Um, as a part of the digital deluxe edition. So, you know, they could have come out with 20 DLC sieves for free in the digital deluxe edition, or they could have come out with one. They didn't specify that. And certainly 20 might have made you as, or me as someone who didn't buy the uh, digital deluxe edition a little upset, but one would have made everyone who bought it upset. So the fact is they saw that maybe they hadn't been completely forthright. Maybe they hadn't been completely value-driven with regards to the Digital Deluxe Edition. They did the right thing with regards to user feedback, some of which, I mean, look, in my opinion, they're going above and beyond here. I don't think that they owe the people who bought the Digital Deluxe Edition anything else, if I'm being completely honest. And I don't want to seem a little a little harsh to those. I know that you two gentlemen bought it. I know we have a lot of listeners who probably did. But I don't think that there was an entitlement to anything more with regards to the Digital Deluxe Edition because the cost offset to the regular edition has been covered. If you look at if you look at it from a pure numbers point of view, that being said, they did the right thing from a consumer interaction and feedback point of view. They went in, they saw a lot of people who were upset about it. They they weighed the pros and cons, probably weighed the consideration of, well, you know, maybe these people won't go and buy two expansions if we don't, you know, make them realize that they had added value with the digital exhibition of the vanilla game. So they decided, you know what, we got, I mean, they probably have like three two or three sieves from Southeast Asia and Africa coming down the pipe already that they're just going to meet out at their own kind of leisure here. So they probably just decided that, you know, it, it, it was, it was worth the positive um, customer and consumer feedback and the positive good vibes, I guess you could say from the people with digital deluxe to just give them to them. However, I don't want to hear anything more about digital deluxe after this, because frankly, they're going above and beyond and there shouldn't be any more whining um, about it in any form or facet, and nor should there be counterpoint whining, it should be said. Everyone should just be happy and satisfied that they went above and beyond. Aw, now I'd like to throw it to Valter, because Valter, you're extremely tuned into the uh, the community, especially on Reddit, where a lot of this gets discussed. Um, Dan brought up a briefly point of pricing around the world, and we talked about this a little before the show. You know, how, how do you feel that's been working out for people? I mean, there was a cost difference, and that seems to be what they've actually relied on, is, is not so much that we failed to deliver um, what we consider to be value for the pack, they're more so saying we don't feel like the price comparison globally really worked out in people's favor. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, like they literally said, we saw the price with certain currencies didn't live up to the savings we were looking to deliver. And I think I remember seeing that in some countries there was actually no saving because pricing got a little bit weird. The, the digital lux cost the exact same in dollars amount to their local currency, for example, while the the DLC were cheaper. And that way, if you bought the DLC a la carte, it would be cheaper than buying the deluxe edition. And that has just been a big problem to them. They needed to fix that specifically, I think, for those people who would have been out with more money for yeah, the same amount of things. And I think this is a perfect solution for that. And also what I thought was really, really smart of them. After they announced this, the they discounted the game on Steam as well as the deluxe edition. So you were if you didn't own Civ 6, for example, hey, we just announced we are going to give more stuff with the digital deluxe edition, which is also on sale at the moment. So you know maybe you want to pick it up. I, I think they they did this in a really savvy marketing way. And I don't think they had much of a choice. They had to do something for the people who bought it. And I understand that others now like, well, 
I didn't think it was worth it, but with this two extra DLC, it's worth it. Yeah, sorry, but I guess you're shit out of luck then. Um, <laughs> Valter tells it like it is. But I mean, yeah. you bring up a great point. I mean, and both of you do. Uh, this has just been great overall because it is a case study on you know consumer relations really uh like you guys were saying uh, you know if you kind of screw over your customers at first purchase uh good luck having them come back for a couple other games and i'm sure we've all been in franchise situations like that where um you know you you love one version of a game you know you go back you buy maybe the second generation of it the second iteration of the game then they screw you over uh, then you're less likely to come back again. And um, so I pulled another quote here off of Twitter from uh, TLDR Reviews. They had tweeted, um, this is this is back on the same day as the announcement, they said, Today's Civ game gave a case study on how to make up for an unintentional mistake. It's good for customer, and it's good for seriously making companies... Uh, oh, this is written a little weird, but uh, it's... I'm sorry, it's good for the consumer, and it's good for seriously more companies should take a look at this as a good way to handle a potential consumer problem. So basically, they're just going about saying that uh, overall, Firaxis did a good job by going back and, and patching this up. So I kind of want to toss this question out to everybody, but uh, did this win back... Did Firaxis, by doing this, win back fan loyalty? I mean, I'm not really sure if they lost anyone. I mean, did Did you think anyone got that hurt by this digital deluxe debacle? I think that's even a stretch of a word. But by this little debacle or misstep, did they lose anybody? Was anyone really offended by this? Yes, a lot of people were. If you look at the, the, the Steam reviews for Civilization VI or any of the DLCs, mm -hmm. especially the one which didn't actually add any civilization, people were really, really butthurt by it. They were furious at Firaxis, how could you do this and everything. I don't agree with them, but a lot of people felt slighted by that. Yeah, I, get, I mean, yeah, we talked about the Vikings DLC being foolhardy and being ill-advised, and I agree with you there. But, I, gosh, you know what? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm too old school, man, because I really didn't see a problem necessarily with the cost offset on it. And I do feel like traditionally, if you look at the cost of their individual DLC sieves, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll look at, I guess, American as a universal currency for it. Aren't they usually certainly back with Civ five and <laughs> I guess they didn't have DLC before that, but weren't they usually about like $8? Yes. So yes. Yes, they were, which is why so, I didn't buy a lot of them. Like I never wound up with the Inca or the Philippines because $8 for DLC for an aging game. Yikes. Was Okay, so was the cost offset between the vanilla edition and the deluxe edition, the digital deluxe edition of this game, $32? Or was it less or was it more? Uh, wait, I, I actually don't know. I did In our previous discussion, didn't we say this basically exactly broke even in US dollars is my memory? I think that it was dollar per dollar. So... Every piece. I think of it DLC. was a little bit better, like was a it? couple of dollars, maybe. But that's about the most of it. I mean, I feel so, bad that I don't have that number pulled up, but I. So it's twenty, yeah. uh, 20 euros extra for the digital deluxe uh, edition, and I'm not sure exactly how much DLC cost. Because I thought that. If you think about it too, like sorry for interrupting, gentlemen. If you think about it too, civilizations in this game are far more complex than they have been in the past. So I would imagine they require a lot more time in terms of programming and in terms of setup and everything, both from the aesthetics as well as how they play. Right? Uh -huh. They are more complex as an entity than civilizations in Civ Five were. So, uh, in essence, I would suggest that they should, by value sake, cost more money individually. So. For me, I mean, it had broken. But again, I, I feel like I have no, I have no skin in the game here because I'm buying them all a la carte anyway. So I guess I should just be just deferring to you guys. And if you guys are saying that you think the value wasn't there, well, then I, I have to, I have to defer to you. Okay, so here it is. I just did the math quickly. So when I bought the Sid, uh, Sid Meier Civilization Six Digital Deluxe Edition, that retailed for seventy. Nine ninety nine on Steam, and the standard edition was fifty nine ninety nine. So we're talking eighty dollars over sixty, so twenty dollar difference. Now, when you calculate in all the prices of the DLC, which three of the four 
are four ninety nine. The other one is eight ninety nine. That was the uh, that was the Poland Plus scenario pack. That's the eight ninety nine. So that comes up to twenty three dollars and ninety six cents. So if you bought the digital deluxe originally, it was a three dollar and ninety six cents savings. However. If you would not have bought the Viking scenario pack because you're not a scenario pack player, then you actually did have a loss of some money there. Um, you you would have been buying yeah. something you didn't want for less money. And keeping in mind the Viking scenario pack, I think that this is interesting to see these things written out side by side. That uh, that is the only pack. Oh, I misread this to you guys. Correction. The Persia and Macedonia civilization and scenario pack, that was the $8.99 one, just to clear that up. That one retails for $8.99. That's when you got um, Cyrus and, uh, and Alexander. The Poland one was just a $4.99. I flipped those in my head. Um, but what I find interesting is the Viking scenario pack retailed for $4.99, but it didn't come with any sieve. And that's kind of where they made up for it with the Persia and Macedonia and one pack. I think that's true. And $4.99 is such a low price point that it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because they're they're being good to the a la carte people by saying, like, hey, we're not gonna price our DLC at like 15 bucks or whatever, right? But then that makes the digital deluxe edition people feel all hurt because now, oh my value, my value. So it, it's a it's it's not even win-win, it's lose-lose. Yeah. And, and Valtor, I mean, I think you're totally right with those reviews. I know you don't stand by them yourself necessarily, but um, like, I, I think you're very right. I had to ask that question, you know, if people were were really butthurt by it. And I, I love that word for this because really, I mean, <laughs> come on. There are things in life. I, I, I'm, I'm standing in such a middle ground here because I think that consumers need a lot of protections these days because there are companies that really just want to rape and pillage and, um, you know, will give you a really half-baked product. But this does kind of go back to that debate. And again, I stand weirdly in the fence here as well, but we don't need to pre-order games anymore. I mean, there's really no, uh, there, there's nothing behind that. You can get into a game without pre-ordering. And I think the Digital Deluxe was a huge component in like the pre-order process mindset-wise. Um you know, instead of just waiting for these DLC to come out on their own uh, and pick them up a la carte. I, it's it's a very interesting debate. I, I think it's funny, though, how many people were upset about it. But I do think that reading Reddit and uh, some of the comments on the uh, the Steam page where it was announced as well, I think a lot of people are like, okay, um, you actually did this quite well. There are a couple like the the, the tweet you uh, read out that didn't like this fix, but most people are really like, this is a good thing. We are actually quite excited about this. Yeah. They just fixed it, kind of, it's partially. really sad to look down this list of reviews on Steam. I mean, just, just from a solely eyeball perspective, not even like going into full detail here, but with how, it lay, well, how, how Steam lays this out between most helpful reviews, recently posted reviews, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you start scrolling down this page and you see two, four, six, eight, 10, 12. You're seeing like 12 negative reviews of the game, 12 do not recommends before you even see some positives in there. So maybe uh, maybe we can help out for well, access. If we've got some listeners that like it, go give it a nice review. It might need it these days. I think it, a bit of nuancing on that as well, because if you look at the Steam page, the top two reviews that are not recommended mm -hmm. both have over 700 hours in the game. Right. Is that not Civ players just like in a nutshell too right there? Like that's ridiculous. Like 700 hours, but you know, I don't recommend it. Correct. Exactly. So I think that some of these reviews might not completely be, well, we hate this game a lot and nobody should buy it. More like, yeah, I played 700 hours of this game, so I know what I'm talking about, but you shouldn't play it, even though I've put 700 freaking hours in it already. Yeah. But think I mean overall it's mostly positively rated still the the game itself. I think the DLC are less like that but still the game is positively rated and and I think most of the complaints are not even about this DLC policy or anything like that but also about just game mechanics in which they don't like some certain things for example how bad the AI is. So yeah. 
Civilization I, players have a high standards. I think you're totally right. And I think that this kind of what I'm making out of it is more of a meta conversation about about sales in general. But uh, you know, people make very snap decisions with their buying. I mean, even the grocery store is set up to be very visually stimulating because people are are visual creatures. And if they see something and it, you know, misfires in their very subconscious mind, they don't do things. And I think it's unfortunate that, you know, if you're a 700 hour player, you probably cannot actually righteously write that you do not recommend a game. <laughs> like in 700 hours, you probably have to say you recommend it because you've put 700 hours of your life into one video game. And that kind of can't be a not recommend because otherwise your life is not, you're, you're, you're void. I don't know. Like what, what's the point of that? But it's sad because then all, you know, new players that are coming to see this because maybe they did see that there was a sale. So tempted them over to the Steam page. Now they get bombarded by 12 negative reviews in a row that are potentially very unfounded. That's unfortunate. But you're right. It does say that it is mostly positively reviewed. So damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, I guess. Yeah, I guess. It's just maybe unlucky with the timing that currently there are a lot of negative on the top. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and I mean to your point, it's a bunch of uh it's a bunch of mechanics and stuff. I've been reading through a couple of these and it's like, I've played this I played Civ Five for X amount of hours and blah blah blah. But yet you put a hundred and some in this. So whatever, people. You know, compl- haters are gonna hate, as they say. Like I said, I think before, that was the great philosopher Swift, comma Taylor who said that. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> but like I said before, people who play Civilization are very demanding of what the game should be because we have had so many good iterations of the game already. Civ 4 is, I think, universally loved by everybody who played it at that time. Civ 5 was hated uh, until, like, I even didn't, I bought it on release. I didn't play it for a year or two wow. much after release because I hated it. And in the end, with the expansions, it was an amazing game. So people who play these kinds of games have really high standards because there is so much good content already available to them. And I think that is what leads to people saying, I played it 700 hours, but I can't recommend it because it's not as good as I want it to be. (laughs) Okay, Mr. 700-hour player, you and I need to have a chat about recommendations. But I mean, this this also brings a a thought in my mind, and I don't want to spend too much time on it in this episode, but like... You know, how many times can you reinvent a video game before, you know, you start one-upping yourself? And I mean, I think we just kind of, you just, you know, touched on that a second ago of like, you know, when Civilization 4 is better than Civilization 5, um, that kind of, you know, it hurts you because you're trying to innovate. And I, I, I give credit to people that are actively listening to the community and trying to innovate. And that's why, you know, I even went so far as to create a podcast about, um, Civ Six, as I was, I was really impressed with how well Civ Five was, and uh, uh, you know, in, in the early days of the podcast, it was great because Civ or uh, Firaxis actually went above and beyond in addressing problems up front. And uh, like I, I say this all the time, but people would warn me that the podcast may not work because Firaxis may not post updates and they may not be transparent and things like that. But I think under Ed Beach and the rest, they have done a really good job about addressing these problems, not letting them fester. There's, there's, you know, a lot of bureaucracy in any company. And I think fans want instantaneous results. And I'm with you a lot of the time in that want, but at the same time, they have to protect their PR and do all kinds of stuff like that. So they're not looking bad, uh, you know, to their investors and other things. But I think that they're doing a lot. I think this this to me reads as a great attempt to win back fan loyalty. So that was the question that was posed. And I, I think that I think it's worked overall. I mean, I, I will we'll see when the statistics come out, when people rave about it or rant about it. But um, I can't imagine too many people other than that Greg guy on Twitter are upset about this. What I'm also really curious about is what the pricing will be for those two DLC. Mm-hmm. Because they have promised in total of three leaders which means that I expect one of them will be at the same price as Macedon and uh, uh, Cyrus DLC, which would be uh, $8.99, and another for five bucks, which only one liter, which means that all of a sudden the the Digital Deluxe Edition saves you quite a lot of money. And I like that because I own one. <laughs> yeah, so we were at twenty three ninety six before, so uh, that's only a 
$3.96 savings. So $3.96 plus $8.99 plus $5. That would be if you're in US dollars, it'd be about an $18 savings then to buy the digital. Yeah, Euros and verse kind of the same. So I think you have a large part of the market there already mm-hmm. who you uh, who you cater to. And that, that helps out a lot, I think, because that's a really good value for people who want to get into the game. Like I said, the Digital Deluxe Edition is up for discount at the moment, just as the normal game. But all of a sudden, buying the Digital Deluxe Edition is a lot more attractive if you are going to buy, let's say, four of the DLC, perhaps two that are out now and the two that are coming, then you should probably pick up the Digital Deluxe Edition because you're going to pay the same amount anyway. Yeah, and I think at worst, I think at worst, I should put this caveat in there. I mean, if you would be someone that's picking up Digital Deluxe and you absolutely would not want that five ninety nine or I'm sorry, four ninety nine of the Viking scenario pack. Um, so what did I say? You'd have an eighteen dollar savings. So you'd be looking at more of a thirteen dollar savings, but that's still a lot of money and probably very much well worth doing it. I mean, you'd kind of be silly not to. You'd still you'd be losing thirteen dollars not purchasing the digital deluxe at that point. Yeah, but that is, of course, if you want the DLC. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I like the DLC because more leaders is what I want of this game pretty much at the moment until they bring a big expansion. So yeah, definitely bring it on. Okay, so uh, someone put here a very, very smart question in the show notes. Uh, who do we think is coming back? Who wants to take this question first? Dan Vouter? Sure. Well, I mean, they said that there's going to be three sieves from Southeast Asia and Africa. So um, I think the best speculation, I have to assume those three will probably see at least one brand new one. Um, but I don't think that, I mean, Southeast Asia, you are kind of a bit limited by uh, what you can pull from. And in Civ Five, they actually did a wonderful job of, of um, integrating Southeast Asia into the game, which they hadn't really done before. Um, the Siamese under... The leader whose name I cannot pronounce. It was like Ramakamahana Hang or something like that. That's um, how I said it too. <laughs> exactly. Not very sophisticated pronunciation on our part, but I thought they were great. Um, they also tried the Indonesians, which I thought didn't go over so well. The Indonesians had that weird thing where they had those two unique um, resources all to themselves, um, but I never found that they were really all that well fleshed out. So my first speculation. Um, in terms of civs that would be coming back would be something around Siam. Because if you look at like that whole Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos kind of region, um, you could go modern day and have someone like a Ho Chi Minh for the Vietnamese. But you're a lot more likely, I think, to have um, something that's a bit more ancient. So you could have a unified kind of empire from there. And frankly, I would love to see Siam come back. I think there's a there's a lot there. There's a wealth of history um, and there's a lot to draw on, and they could build on a fantastic Civilization Five sieve. Um, so they would probably be my speculation for Southeast Asia. But they might pull something random out, like a, uh, like like a modern day Vietnam, or like a, I don't know what else Ooh. could they pull out from Southeast Asia. Like a, I'm like looking a, at a map right now to see. Beep 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 beep. I realize I made a mistake earlier, um, Dan, when you threw me a question asking what Civ Five DLC I bought. I think I mentioned Indonesia, but that wasn't actually DLC. I meant uh, or wait, no, the Indonesia was DLC, but I think I said the Philippines, so I had that backwards. I did not. Yeah, Philippines were in five. I think they're they would be an interesting one. I mean, yeah. the islands in the Philippines. I mean, that was America's one colonial holding, but the islands themselves um, and the Pinoy people have a have a long and extensive history. That'd be an interesting one for sure. Yeah, it looks like they reported into Civ Five um, with a with a mod, so they had the Republic of the Philippines in there. Um, which which just seems very cool. I mean, that seems like, but I, I think that says something. I think that, you know, if Rax kind of wants suggestions of which uh, DLC to pull, I mean, obviously it's everywhere, but, uh, you know, people are always giving opinions. But if you look back even to what mods were super popular for Civ Five, it kind of gives you some really good idea of, uh, you know, what people would want to see. If someone's going the whole way to make a mod for your game to get a leader in, uh, it's good to give them some airtime. And I, I would definitely buy Philippines DLC if that were the case. And especially with the fact that they kind of tend to go for countries and leaders which are less obvious compared to the ones that they have done before, I think. Then again, we did get Greece or Macedon with Alexander. Mm -hmm. But I I hope that they they 
continue kind of on that and pick uh, a country that they might have not done before, like the Philippines. So looking at this again, so it says that our it's going to be Africa to Southeast Asia. Three new leaders representing civilizations from Africa to Southeast Asia. That's going to be so interesting. I mean, there's talk about the Zulu. Uh, was that you, Valtier, the other day in chat that was uh, pulling for the Zulu, or am I mistaken? Yeah, because I really like the Zulus as a civilization in the game, uh, C5, and I hope that something similar like that would be in... Um, Civ 6 as well because everybody hated them to play against them mm -hmm. because they were so aggressive and quite strong as well and um, I, I like that I, it, I think it brings a good flavor uh, to the game uh, and everybody knows the Zulus they're quite a famous Civ for Civ 5 so yeah bring them back show me where the money's at yeah, this is, you know, looking at this map, or the real world map, I mean, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, like like you said, Dan, um, you kind of got a limited amount that you can pull from in this area. So I think Vietnam was a very good speculation. Um, that'd be very interesting. I think, again, the Philippines would be very cool. Indonesia, I doubt we see pulled back so soon. I mean, that was already DLC in the past game, so I don't know if it's going to be DLC right away. Um, I know this isn't exactly Southeast Asia, but, um, you know, people were really calling for Korea to come back into the game. I think people really like that in Civ Five, and uh, I've seen a lot of that on Reddit, or on Twitter too. Anytime that, when they announced this, you know, a lot of replies to Firaxis were about adding in Korea. So, wonder when we see yeah. that, or if we do. Uh, a thought, and I'll toss this to Vouter for the Africa one. A country uh, who they, I mean, I guess they sort of touched on, like, the ancient history of it, but a country with a pretty extensive modern history that they've never done would be South Africa. Um, yeah. And I wonder if it would be a little bit too um, taboo might be the word, I guess, to do like a Dutch South Africa. <laughs> Although also you have the possibility, and this is a bit of a weird thing to talk about, but Civ has the um, propensity to not include in a leader until the person has uh, like passed away. Um, you could do a modern South Africa with a Nelson Mandela as leader as well, conceivably. I don't know if Dutch South Africa and like the Afrikaners would be something that might be a little too taboo, though. I think it would be definitely too much taboo, uh, especially with the whole separatism kind of deal and everything like that. It's, it's, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, but I would fair. love to see a South Africa uh, under Mandela, actually. That would be a pretty interesting uh, representation of the country. And it's an important country, I think, as well in, in Africa. So that would definitely be a cool nation for them to include. I, I think uh, I, I think it's very smart of them to leave some of these more turbulent uh, and more, you know, like we're saying, taboo places it, it makes sense to leave them to modders that way they're completely off the hook for it which uh is a good thing i think but you know again we had stalin in the game in the past uh you know civ 4 so it's not like Mao was also in the game yeah. so. good call yeah. good call so it's not now that's an interesting question um going back to this idea of games growing up over time uh now that we're in this more connected world i mean do you think we're gonna see could, would they even attempt to pull that off again to bring in a leader? They, you know, I, I wouldn't. I mean, Stalin is lovely, is very praised in Russia, especially currently. I mean, favoritism for him is up. Um, but I don't know. In this uber connected world that we're in in 2017, do you think that Firaxis ever goes down that route again? Would they put him out in a game again? Or is that just like, huh, we did that back in Civ 4 when the internet wasn't as prevalent? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's so tough, man. Like, what makes one of these leaders taboo? I mean, you're never going to see some of the more obvious ones. You're never going to see Hitler. You're never going to see Mussolini. But, I mean, the fact that they would think that putting Stalin in is okay is, to me, odd. And that wasn't that long ago, too. I mean, we're talking 10, 15 years ago. And same thing with Mao Zedong, because the historical perception of them is such that they are on you know, a plane with, with the fascist leaders of World War II. I mean, but you could also look, you know, I talked about Ho Chi Minh for the Vietnamese. I mean, depending on who you ask, you might 
have people who say that that would be a terrible inclusion or a terrible ad. If you ask, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, someone who's anti-communist, that would be terrible. Um, I've seen people talk in the past about doing like a Central American civ in a place like Cuba and having someone like Castro as the leader. Like for some people that would be totally fine. And for other people that would be awful. But I mean, you have to look at it from a historical distance point of view as well, because I mean, you look at it, what we currently have in this iteration. I mean, we get Genghis Khan in every civilization yeah. game and he's the largest mass murderer arguably in history. Um, and then even currently in Civ Six, you have Montezuma, you have Gilgamesh, you have Cyrus the Great, you have, um, heck, um, you could look at someone like, uh, I don't know, I'm looking through the list here, thinking off the top of my head. I can't think of any of the, the European or Western leaders as being, having kind of controversial historical outlook, but it, it's so... I don't know. It feels so arbitrary, kind of, the way that um, people have outraged towards some and not outraged towards others. So probably the safe bet for them is just to avoid anything that might stir up any kind of controversy. But then, <laughs> but then, is that being is that is that whitewashing a little too much? Or whitewashing is the wrong word. Is that um, I don't know, shying away from it a little too much? Uh, you took I that exactly a, where I wanted. Go ahead, Vader. I think a big thing as well is like apartheid in South Africa is really recent and perhaps a bit too recent to actually be included. Like what happened with uh, Gilgamesh, what he did, or or Genghis Khan, that happened so long ago, nobody is alive Mm -hmm. that can remember that. Nobody's grandparents are alive that can remember that. So that's a bit different. I mean, time makes these kinds of things more like, yeah, okay, that's the thing I ha- that happened, I guess. But uh, apartheid is so close to the current day that you could actually hurt people by putting something in there because in some kind of way, you're maybe not representing facts completely honest or not the way they like it to be present- represented. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think it's just too risky, more or less, to to add those in. And uh, I would say the same for Mao Zedong or, or Stalin in, in, in some kind of way. It, yeah, it's just too recent in modern history to, to actually put into game now because there are people who suffer the consequences from those rules. I think yeah, I think you nailed it there because I you know it is one of those things where as as we go on in time and this history progresses we kind of just round off the rough edges and say you know oh Genghis Khan you know murderer blah 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 but but that's we lump in all the things like that crusades and this and that and the other and we don't really take it to heart because we don't know anyone that was alive at that time um, but I think that's also a great point you were getting at, Valtteri, with the idea that we know there are historical inaccuracies in this game, and those are just things that happen because it is a game, and it's not one that's shooting for the most authentic version. But if you are representing events politically that are very recent and could affect things very you know, close in the future, et cetera, et cetera, um, people could get offended by that because you are not really representing their side like they'd like it. I mean, think of the flack that I think what Firaxis would not want to see is some coalition coming after them. Like, hey, you know, we are the, I'm just going to say like the ACLU in the United States, you know, something something like that, a big group saying, well, you know, you, you misrepresented all these facts and now we're going to file some sort of lawsuit against your company for false representation. I mean, that's not what you want to see. Dan, to your point, though, you know, what's the world without a little controversy? Um, yeah. Last thought from me on this is, you know, in Civ Four, where I said, you know, we had Stalin, and you reminded me that we had Mao. They didn't really play up the whole leader story so much as as much as they were like plug and play faces for your. They were almost more like an avatar than uh, a storyline. Like in this one, you kind of assume the mantle of whatever leader you're taking. You know, they have traits that they lean into and things like that. Uh, Civ Four, to my knowledge, um, recollection, you didn't have that. So Stalin wasn't someone that put people in gulags. He was just a guy that got, I don't know, five extra hammers in certain situations. That's a really good point. Um, and I mean, if you look at it in Civ Six, the most modern leader is Gandhi. And I mean, there are few historical figures who are as universally revered as Gandhi. And then you have to backtrack historically, chronologically. And I think the next one in chronological order is Teddy Roosevelt, who was mm-hmm. turn of the 19th into 20th century president, right? 
So I think that I you mean, had John Curtin as well. Oh Curtin. yeah, sorry, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Good call, Voucher. John Curtin was a World War II leader for Australia. Um, you know, and it, it calls on something that I remember someone saying um, in the speculation leading up to this game. Uh, people were tossing around ideas for who could be the leader for, like, who could be the American president this time around, since they usually cycle through Washington, Lincoln, Washington, Lincoln. And someone said, why not a president who's universally generally revered like Kennedy? But then again, you've got, I mean, Kennedy is only, we're only about 55 years removed from that. And so it's tough to, it's tough to determine whether or not you're going to get negative feedback for it. So to your point, Kyle, you're absolutely right. Now that leaders play such a key role, I think they have to be a lot more careful with it. That's a very interesting one overall. I, I love this conversation. This this absolutely fascinated me because they're just such relevant points. And, um, you know, one thing I really just like to talk about in general is how video games change over time. And I think we kind of nailed it. I mean, you guys went exactly where I was looking because these are all such good points and perspectives between, you know, the political ramifications going forward and... All of that different stuff, it, it all plays a factor and, and they, they, they have, they shepherd a game that is, um, you know, based on controversy, well, not controversy, but based on conflict between, you know, warring nations and such like that. You know, it's not a game about everyone holding hands. It can be, but, you know, there's a lot of warring up until that point. Um, I don't know. I cannot wait to see who these leaders are bringing it back around. I mean, I think it's going to be great. I'm very excited for the Southeast uh, Asia one to come in because, you know, looking at the map, like I was saying, there's limited options. Boy, I want to see who Africa gets as well. I'm curious if we get the Zulu back, but I guess we're going to have to wait. Or Ethiopia, perhaps. Do you think we'd get Ethiopia back? I mean, they were definitely in Civ Five. I like them. I like them a lot. So, I mean, it, it would be going down a route that they have already been. That's mm -hmm. something, but I like Ethiopia a lot and uh, they, they have some things to offer. So yeah, why not? I would, I would like to see that. Okay, guys. Well, that was a very fun one. We're getting a little bit short on time. Um, I think we're going to save this listener feedback for next week. Um, Black Mountain wrote in to us. I'm just going to tip this off so people can go over to the Reddit and help out and, and share their thoughts. But um, we had a listener, Black Mountain, wrote in and said, can you talk a little bit about uh, sieves and the play style and what's best at certain speeds? So that's something I'd like to kind of shout out to our listeners. If you guys have thoughts on what sieves you play and, and certain speeds, if you think that there's an advantage to playing someone at a different time, you could feel free to shoot us an email. That's civcastpodcast at gmail.com. But again, uh, this question got posted over on our Reddit. So uh, that's, uh, like Dan said earlier, it's reddit.com slash r slash civcast. So go over there, chime in on your thoughts on that, because we'd like to hear um, what people are playing. But Dan, I'm going to actually toss this to you. You want to give us your uh, little historical minute of the week you guys ready to have some fun yes always so uh my students uh this week in my ap european u.s and world history classes are all gearing up for their ap exams this week and if you are of the age where you're doing an ap history exam this week and you listen to this show i wish you luck so in that respect, I thought it might be fun to do a little bit of a Civilization VI-inspired uh, history quiz for you gentlemen. So I have three questions for you that relate to Civ VI and relate to the leaders and civs in the game. Um, and the questions have a bit of a historical bent to them that I'm going to toss to you, and you uh, are going to do your best to answer them. Does that sound like something that we could uh, fit in here, Kyle? Do we have enough time to do Let's that? Let's do think? it. Let's do it. All right. Pull I'm up ready. your Civ Six leader list, okay? Oh, pull it up in oh, front of you. Preferably the one from our friends at Civilization Wikia. Uh, big shout out to them for retweeting us today. Thanks, guys. Uh, here uh, it is. Civilization Wikia. This isn't it. Civilization list. Civilizations. Yes. All right. Got them. All right, question number one. Of all of our leaders in Civilization VI, who ruled their empire slash country for the longest period of time? Oh. Hmm. This is a good one. Uh... <laughs> I think that yeah, would right. be... My answer would probably be... Uh, Quinchi Wang. That's what I was going with too, but for the sake of being a 
different one. Uh, shoot, that was a really good one there. Uh, for the sake of a different one, I'm just going to go with... Actually, a lot of these people are like quick deaths, I feel. Uh, they wouldn't have been in power too long. I'm just going to go with the Japanese, just because. Neither of you is correct, unfortunately. The answer, ruling for 64 years Freaking from 1837 Victoria. to 1901, yeah. Queen Victoria of Damn England. It. Yeah, <laughs> she was my second child, I guess. Dang it. Uh, now, along those lines, which of the civilization's six leaders ruled their empire or country for the shortest period of time? Oh, gosh. Mont. Uh, okay, I'm leaning towards Montezuma, but I'm not sure that's my final answer. Hmm. Oh, I Trajan? I don't know. So your answer will be Trajan? Yeah, I'm just going to do it. Sure, lock me in. I will go with Cleopatra. Gentlemen, you're zero for two. The correct <laughs> answer on this at just over three years is John Curtin. Of Australia. Wow. Oh, that's short. Yeah, dang it. That it was actually, sense. which is why I found it particularly interesting that he was uh, included as the leader for the Sim, but I guess he was their wartime leader. So, yeah, I mean, that helps a lot usually. I believe he passed away in office. So, chances are he oh. could have gone longer if he had not have. All right. Of our leaders, which leader's empire slash country spanned the largest scale on the globe? during their time as ruler england uh let me check to be sure because i think it's england as well yeah it has to be england correct well done all right all right two more questions this next one of all of our leaders who assumed their throne slash leadership of their country at the youngest age Ooh. That's a good one. I know. Uh, I, I think it might be Alexander. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to go Cleopatra. Neither of you is correct. <laughs> it is Dang close. It. it is close. But in officially assuming the throne without a regent, so with full responsibilities mm -hmm. of the throne, the youngest was 11 years old. And that is Jadwiga of Poland. Ah, really? Yeah, she had to assume the throne without like an official regency council at 11, which is crazy. That is crazy. That's great. All right, final question. There are exactly five leaders in Civilization VI who during their time as leader assumed the title of king, not of emperor or um, god leader or whatever, but king. Can you name me those five leaders? Five, wait, five, five leaders from our list here have assumed the title of king, but they're not anything like a god king. No, or emperor, king. They, they were called king in their language, but king. Uh, this is a tricky one for us. I, I would go with Philip as one. Correct, that's one. I know that Jadwiga is, is one. Oh, that was going to be the one I thought was going to trick y'all. Yeah, Jadwiga no. is that one I knew. King of Poland. Yes, I knew. Yeah. She, she was, was not, not queen, but she was king. Yeah, exactly. Is Teddy Roosevelt? Oh, well, is, can I? Is Donald Trump the king? Can I list him? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in a mod. Self-appointed. Um, oh, is that's an emperor? Novemba uh, Nzinga is he king? I don't know. Sorry, who? Uh, of um, the Congo guys. Mavamba Nzinga? No, I, I don't. His title was not officially king. I think that Gilgamesh was a king. That makes sense. Correct. That's three. Dang it. There are still two more. Cyrus? Uh, Cyrus was a king? Cyrus was not a king. He was not a king. Dang no, it. That was not his title. Huh. Well, Peter was a czar, but that's emperor. That exactly good. So we still are missing two. Is Fre Frederick Barbarossa is. Yeah, that's number four. He was king. Obvious. China would have been an emperor, so a god king. So out. 
Saladin? No. Voucher, do you have one last guess? Yeah. This is a tough so, one. So, need to be king, no other weird things around it, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, the only thing that I, that I, my guess would be, would be uh, Pedro. No, Pedro is emperor of Brazil. The correct answer was the king of Norway, Harold Hadrat. Oh, he was a king. Dang it. Yeah. I was kind of looking uh, at him. Had I had one more, that probably would have been my thought. Just by narrowing Yeah, I down. thought that would be a tough one. But props on the Jadwiga one. That one's that one's tough, man. Like usually people would just assume that they would look specifically at the male leaders for it. So props to you for that. So all right, gentlemen. Well, you passed today's quiz, so I can give you a passing grade. Congratulations. Hooray. We will, we will come <laughs> back. We will reconvene for class sometime in September. I really liked that one. That was a fantastic uh, that was a that fantastic was a lot of fun. Well, I just liked it. It was actually fun to put together. I just thought about it kind of spontaneously when we were doing the cold open. I was like, well, I haven't put together a historical minute. I know. I'll put the boys on the spot. Woohoo! See, now you know how the sausage is made. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Hey, uh, but we are a little short here. So, Valter, do you want to give us your strategy uh, tip of the week and, and prelude to your full episode coming to Patreon? Yeah, the strategy tip that I have this week will not have much to do with the the... the the episode that I put in the Patreon subscribers, the strategy session, the strategy session, I will talk about tourism, everything related to tourism. It was the victory tide that I found most confusing of all because some of the numbers were hidden and I took some time to dig up some of those numbers and show you how to do it correctly, in my opinion, of course. But this the strategy uh, tip will be about a discussion that I've had about a month ago on the Reddit with a couple of uh, peoples there. And it was about uh, merging units or keeping them separate. And I was always of the opinion that uh, having as many units as possible when you attack a city, for example, would be preferable than merging a couple of those units into an armada or, or an army or core. And uh, I was linked a beautiful article there. And I think now that actually having a core or an army is a pretty good idea. So strengths here, the damage that you do upon an opponent is the difference between strength for units. And making a core or an army increases that strength of the unit for against uh, a single unit of that same type. And since difference, it becomes greater, you do a lot more damage, you receive less damage, and therefore it's a lot stronger. The downside, of course, is the high production. So my tip would be is have at least one or two cores or armies, depending on your your civic tree level, around to use as more of like a spear point, while you have some other units around that, that not necessarily in a core or an army, just walking around and supporting it. But having that one or two units, which are cores or armies, can give you a significant advantage against uh, your opponent who doesn't have it, just because you do so much more damage to them and they do less to you. So that's my tip for today. I love it. That's a good one because that's that's again one of those kind of uh, gray areas that people may not know about. But I I do love the ideas of cores, armies, fleets, and armadas. That's something really cool, and I think uh, works out really well in the game. Uh, thank you guys both very very much for bringing all of your insights to the show. As always, we did a fantastic episode here with a lot of information to cover and discuss. As a reminder to all of our listeners out there, you can find all the links to the show, um, everything you need to subscribe on different devices and things like that. That's all over at kyledempsterstudios.com forward slash civcast. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash civcast. That's again where uh, Valter's doing his his uh, his his strategy session on Wednesday. Uh, that's Wednesday the 10th. I believe. And again, um, Dan's last historical extra, uh, he and I got on there recorded. So that is up there for you as well. You can listen to that as of today. Uh, let's see what else you need our Twitter information. That'd be helpful. Uh, the main account is at Civ underscore cast on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Dempster seven. Dan is at Dan the max and Valter is at Intocentius 69. Did I say that wrong? Innocentius 69. I'm just stumbling over words today. Uh, feedback. Welcome to send it to our email. That is civcastpodcast at gmail.com. And again, Reddit is our civcast. Uh, loving all the conversation on there. I'm spending more time there. Valter is totally tacked 
tackling questions faster than I can even read them. Kudos, sir. Uh, we're going to have the information for the CivCast Challenge that Dan has put together. That's going to be up on the website. That's going to be up on the Reddit. And you'll be able to tweet those answers over to us on Twitter as well as post to the, the sticky on Reddit. Um, I think that wraps it up for us. So until next week, everyone, just one more turn. You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.